0: All right, everybody. Wow. This is a lot bigger than the normal audience. <laughs> we usually just have all just the three of us and coach Chad is in the audience, but there's a lot more people than just coach Chad. So welcome to the ask a cycling coach podcast. Uh, it's good to have everybody here. Everyone's here for cyclocross nationals and, uh, yeah, way bigger audience than I expected. We never really know what to expect being a software company. because we don't really have people come here very often. They just come to us on the internet. So good to have you all here. Uh, we have some special guests with us and we're going to dig into cyclocross since it's cyclocross nationals time. Uh, on my right here to my left, Courtney McFadden, Courtney, uh, can you tell us who you ride for and how long you've been racing? That sort of thing.
1: Um, I ride for pivot cycles. Am I supposed to talk into this?
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and,
1: and DNA cycling. Um, and I've been racing for, I started, uh, everybody at the grassroots level in about 2010 so seven years and yeah anything else
0: awesome that's good cody uh cody kaiser cody can you tell us who you ride for how long you've been riding all that stuff i ride
2: for lang twins winery and specialized bicycles uh and i actually just spoke somebody today that this is my 10th year at nationals so uh wow. long long time riding but 10 years of coming to this uh, circus too
0: Sweet yeah, man, yeah. awesome, very cool. Nate, they know who you are. We don't have to do that. Are we live right now? We're live. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I wasn't sure if we started or not. <laughs> yep, we're live. We're good. It's happening, right?
1: I can't hear him. I can't hear myself coming out of that. So I wasn't really sure.
0: No, no, you're good. <laughs> That's good. So let's. We're gonna dive into cyclocross, and we're gonna try to take it chronologically. So we're gonna talk about things, everything from building up to an event like nationals, um, but we don't have to consider it national championships, just an event period, a race. So we'll cover the buildup to it and, and all the different things you do from the training side, we'll get into that a bit, we'll talk about the nutrition side, we'll talk about the equipment side and plenty of other details in between. Um, and then afterward, we'll also allow some time for questions. Uh, if you're joining us on Facebook Live right now, which uh, there are plenty of people doing that, um, then you can submit your questions that way too. And we'll go through them and, uh, we'll try to keep this brief because there are plenty of people standing. So we don't want to hurt your legs, especially if you're racing. So, uh, but Nate, I guess starting off, you've, you've come from the triathlon side of things mm-hmm. and you, we actually started a mountain biking and you found that kind of difficult, but cyclocross, you found better to build skills, right?
3: Yeah. And I'm so glad I'm sitting next to Cody because Cody <laughs> is world famous. If there's a, there's a video of him going up Belgian stairs where he just floats and today there's a video of him jumping rope, but it was a 20 foot bike lock, people <laughs> holding it. So Cody has the skills and I hope he doesn't say he was just born with them, but I think there's a lot of people where the skills, like their skill level in cyclocross slows them down right? They're not as fast because of that. And trainer road, we do the fitness, but there's such a huge part of that. So I don't, how do you want to start? How do you want to go through this?
0: Let's, let's start with, I think the, let's go through like the typical obstacles you come across on a cyclocross course. And we'll talk about how you train for those or how you, how you manage to get good at, at managing those obstacles. So, I mean, the first one that we always think about is barriers, whether you bunny hop them or you run them. How do you guys practice barriers? Do you just wait until it's race time and then just, that's you accumulated enough experience that way, or are there specific drills you do?
1: Uh, I will practice barriers at home. So initially, like if I'm out for a ride, I like to practice my fake barrier. Um, and <laughs> when I'm reacquainting myself with cyclocross skills and then, you know, the closer I get to the season we've got where I live, where I think it probably happens where everybody is, but Wednesday night, cycle cross practice and um, where they've got the PVC barriers. So I do that. Um, You know, anytime I live in the Pacific Northwest, so we have lots of trees around us. And in the, you know, winter or like our mountain is getting logged, so any windy day, you know, when they leave those pencil skinny trees, uh, (laughs) um, and anytime like a tree blows over and is in the middle of the trail, I practice it as my (laughs) cyclocross dismount, remount barrier, well dismount barrier remount. Um, So I kind of just try and incorporate it all year long into my training. Anytime I see an obstacle like that in the middle of the trail. um, And then obviously more specific stuff um, when we're leading up to cyclocross. I do not bunny hop the barriers. I am a a runner over those.
3: So how many times like during a training ride would you get off your bike to to simulate a fake barrier?
1: Um, If I'm specifically practicing just like reacquainting that dismount remount, um, I'll I don't even count, but maybe, I mean, 10, 20 times. I'll just go to an open field and just reacquaint myself with that motion just to remind myself um, how to do it, how to do it smoothly, and then bring in the real barriers.
3: What would be something that, like, would be, I like, you did it and you're like, oh, that wasn't good enough. What are some of the characteristics of a bad one? And then what would be, like, a good uh, dismount and mount?
1: Uh, for me... It would be so I don't know if many of you guys know this but I had hip surgery in February so when I had to reacquaint like my whole body there's mentally and my hip and how to do a remount and um, anytime that you would take like a flying leap of faith because I was pretty nervous I had surgery on my right hip and um, I was pretty nervous to do my first remount and and it was I had a lot of really bad remounts where it just like um Lots of flying remounts into this like big old slap down onto the saddle, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. So that would be bad. Uh, That would be a bad remount. I should take notes, somebody. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you want to keep your remount as smooth as possible. So you want your bike to keep moving forward. So anytime my bike is losing speed as I'm remounting, um, that to me would not be a perfect remount. Uh Cody, can
3: you jump in here too? Like, So when you hit it and we... People who know who listens to podcasts, we interrupt each other a lot. Yes. So I just interrupted you. Yeah. And let's just, you got to jump in, Cody. <laughs> that won't
2: be my style. But that's okay.
3: Okay, <laughs> cool. Tell me when I should. Okay, I'll just, I'll <laughs> lean I'll just you forward.
0: nudge. <laughs>
3: Cody, if you're going to, what would you, what's the perfect kind of landing on your saddle? Because we can walk through the whole kind of remount p- part, and I want both your guys' opinions. So, yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, um, and maybe walk us through like how you go about the remount so then we can get to that perfect landing on the yeah, saddle. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so I, uh, when I'm at home before the season, uh, we run a huge uh, series of cyclocross clinics before we start through the shop that we own uh, in Sacramento, and uh, we start super slow and just walk through the the paces. And kind of the ideal remount is that there's not that leap of faith. There's not this you know flying you know jump Superman thing, and that you're actually landing on uh, the inside of your thigh, your right or left side thigh, very mm. smooth, very clean. There's actually you know it should only be an inch of you know, air between your foot and the ground and then your your leg in the seat. It should be very smooth, very fluid. Um, and when it's not that, I think Courtney says it perfectly, when you slow when you're trying to remount, that's the sign of a bad remount. You know, it's I, like a good hurdler, you know, in the Olympics.
0: That's a tip that I think a lot of people miss. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, one tip really quick. When you're talking, get close to the mic Okay, my bad. Um, my bad. Then we'll get good audio. Everyone else can hear in here, but Bam. the internet is being left out. So, um, but one bad. thing that a lot of people miss is I think I see a lot of people leap and it's almost like they're trying to get their leg over and clear and that's like the kind of the thought process is i need to get that leg over and be in a seated position mm-hmm. but what you're saying is you actually you want to kind of land on your your thigh the inner thigh when and then roll on to that position
2: yeah you so, definitely should not be landing on your sit bones you want to be like yeah, that's like that's gonna land to some real bad pain and probably broken bike parts too but yeah you definitely want to be like sliding on Okay. So I sense.
1: like to um every summer I do a women's clinic and the women in the crowd can will appreciate this but I like to <laughs> I like to um Equate a remount to the Jane Fonda fire hydrant. You know, it's that like, exact same motion, right? You're thinking 90 in the hip, 90 in the knee. You don't need to be swinging your leg around the saddle. Just think about that little fire hydrant motion, and that is how you get on your bike.
0: <laughs> I actually know what Jane Fonda is. I don't, I hear no men laughing at the dog. So that one went right uh, over my head. All of it, it, not afraid. Cody's too young. <laughs> so, uh, go ahead Nate I have
3: this problem when I before that even happens I do the what they call the dreaded crow hop hop. I always do this little like stutter step and I don't know why I do it and I don't know how to fix it fear that's yeah (laughs) so what do I do Courtney
2: it's a lot of bad muscle memory too is what it is I mean yeah it's fear and, and you've just been doing it for so long that way is it my foot in the wrong
3: spot or should I just
2: work on go
1: back to the basics and start slow so okay. like I'll teach this to the women, they'll, you know, there's, I get repeat people that come in they're like, I still do the stutter step. And I'm like, you cannot be done with this clinic and still be doing the stutter step. <laughs> um, that means you need to take it back to a walking speed and not trying to fully run at speed and do it because you're not committing.
3: Can you talk about what you would do then for people who are new to cross? Like what kind of steps would you guys, because I think you guys both do clinics. How would you progress into a proper, like let's do dismount and mount, right? Because yeah. they're both important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, yeah. So, starting with the dismount, um, a, a common thing that you see people say is that it's bad to dismount, uh, on the drive side. I, I, are there certain situations where that's good or is that a bad thing?
2: Well, I think if you have fortune to be, um, ambidextrous in dismounting, I think you're a very rare breed. Um, tell me how you do it because I wish I could. Um, <laughs> I always, obviously, on the left side, and if I get off on the right side, it it's goes, scary. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: It goes way <laughs> south. I'm just like, whoa. Um, but I think Courtney's spot on, like, starting out, start real slow. Just mm. walking pace um, and do it a couple hundred times. You know, I mean, realistically, 100 dismounts and remounts is probably like 8, 10 minutes in the park, just on, off, on, off at a walking pace. So it's not sinking a bunch of time into it yeah. and then just slowly ramp that up.
0: When you do that, are you actually clipping into the pedals every time or are you just practicing getting on, getting off, getting on, getting off? Um, for me, I'm practicing clipping in and out, but yeah. and I do that
2: at the beginning of the scene too. I, I walk. You know, And then slowly trot and then slowly jog and keep working that pace up. Um, but I think if somebody's trying to get rid of that crow's hop or just learn to land on that inner thigh or whatever, mm-hmm. don't worry about clipping in. Okay. You know, find the Do pedal and worry about that later. So, you guys are
3: pros mm-hmm. at a very high level, and you're still doing walking like mm-hmm. drills at the beginning of the season? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I definitely was with the hip that was just operated on yeah that's
3: that's really cool to hear because
2: i don't think make
0: us not feel bad exactly yeah. well yeah. i mean
2: yeah. famous vince lombardi always showed up first day at football practice boys is a football here's the laces yeah learn how to catch it but i mean these guys are nfl players too yep. and i think if you don't go back to those basics you're gonna forget how you do it
0: yeah, yeah. that makes sense mm-hmm. so i guess that's covering the dismount step through or no step through what do you guys what do you guys no say? Step, through. No step through no step through no step through you're my yeah, my type of person, Courtney.
1: <laughs> I don't do a step through. Yeah, so why not? <laughs> it's Scary.
0: Uh, have you seen the Have you seen the video? Joey's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. That's a step through. If anybody hasn't seen that, go <laughs> so on YouTube. You
1: guys should watch it. But it. that happened at one of our local races when I first started racing cross, and apparently this is what Joey says. So just to defend Joey, um, <laughs> in the race. And before this single-speed race that was going on, there were actually two barriers. And for the single-speed race, they took one of the barriers out. Uh, and okay. so he came flying around the corner. And then he got a little startled when he only saw one barrier because he was mentally preparing for two.
0: That makes sense. Threw off his timing. It did. I feel like we just got to the bottom of the most popular cycling YouTube videos <laughs> in the world. That's amazing. And I do recall I was there as
2: well, and I I do recall it was like a one lap race for it like two hundred dollars. So he was pinned. So Joey was full blown seeing Benjamins, and yeah, yeah, that's all i saw.
0: I got yeah. it. Yeah, dash for cash. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was a one lap race. Dash I think for that's cash. that's really what it was. So I my problem with the step through, and I see this a lot. So um and and. and I I apologize if these are your sponsors, but, um, like crank brothers pedals, for example, they don't have a very clear point of disengagement. Like you kind of just push in and then suddenly you're out, right? Whereas Shimano's SPDs, you can usually, or those style pedals, you can usually dial in that retention system. So then there's like a wall that you push against. So, you know, if you keep pushing, you're going to go out. And I've seen a lot of people when they're practicing the step through, they end up moving that other foot to try to fit their leg through and they get premature release or they get into a situation where their foot blows in front of the pedal and then it hits their ankle. Mm -hmm. Pretty painful stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I find that I can still hit the ground running if I dismount and I don't do the step through. I, and I guess that's the thing that I've heard is that if you do the step through, you can hit the ground running.
2: Yeah. You can safely bail away too. Yeah. It's a good, like kind of push the bike away if you need
0: to. Hopefully we just made a lot of people feel a lot better with that too. Yeah, great. Yeah. And
3: my next question is, so you, um, you get mounted again and you start pedaling. Do you guys ever miss the pedals on your first couple? Mm-hmm. All the time. And then how do you guys, so I've seen people in races, they miss the pedals and what they do is they stop, they look down and they try to clip in. Mm-hmm. How would you guys attack that if you missed, if you didn't clip in right away?
2: Keep your eyes looking forward. Um, moving forward. You know that they're going to be on that crank spindle. You know they're, they're only this far away from you know where they were where they should be uh, and you always know kind of where they they should be at so just keep looking forward don't look down that's the biggest thing
3: so you're yeah. still pedaling hard too
2: well, you know, you can't always be pedaling hard if you're not on the pedal, uh-huh. but if you're keeping your eyes on the road, you're going to kind of get that half pedal stroke, three quarters of pedal stroke, find that other pedal, and then you're, you're good to go.
1: Mm-hmm. I always like to tell people if you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. So mm. don't, you know, don't take the time to stop pedaling and try and find your pedal. You're going to get in eventually. Just keep yourself moving forward. Don't stress about it. You'll
0: get in. I'd even recommend on this one. I've seen a lot of people with mountain biking too, for example, um, working with juniors and they get into situations where they have to unclip and reclip in, it's not the end of the world if you're not clipped in like, yeah, exactly. and even if you can just ride through some, some rough terrain, not anything too dangerous or anything, but unclipped just to get used to that and be comfortable with the fact that it's not the end of the world. It can go a long ways. Mm-hmm. It seems like. Yeah. Absolutely.
3: So we talked about, this is barriers. Mm-hmm. Cody, do you jump barriers? I do jump barriers. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> uh, one quick question yeah. on that.
0: Do you feel obligated to jump every single yep. thing on a course now since like you're <laughs> kind of known for that? Uh, yeah. No, not so much. Um,
2: I think there's a big misconception with it of like people just assume that I'm always going to do it. And when I don't, it's because it's actually faster to run it, <laughs> right. you know, whatever it may be. I mean, I'm all about having fun and, and, you know, enjoying what you're doing, but if it's not beneficial, I won't, I won't hop them for sure. So sense. it's good to know when so to use it and when not to use it.
3: When would you hop a buried and when would you not?
2: um but it's all going to be the speed the entrance speed into the barrier so if i have to slow down too much uh, and then have to reaccelerate out of it by hopping the barriers you're better off to run you know sometimes there's dead straight you know 100 yards before 100 yards afterward you can dismount and run faster than you can hopping them because the speed you know you can almost just two step between depending mm-hmm. on how high they are and how far spaced apart they are uh, where you almost you always hop at the exact same speed because you can't go too much faster and then it's you know a problem so it's that, that speed shift.
0: You mentioned PVC barriers earlier and working on those on practice. Um, is that how you've, or is that how you build up confidence on trying to bunny hop those things? I know that you usually aren't a bunny hopper. Um, but have you, <laughs> but have I've never you tried to bunny hop a PVC barrier? Perfect. Okay, that's good. So is that, but is that a good way to start then? I mean, cause I, I...
1: think, you know, making sure you can bunny hop is a good way to start and, <laughs> and then start with small objects and then build yourself work, yeah. up. Yeah. Cause the barriers yeah. that we
0: have at nationals right now, they're, they're taller they're than tall. what a lot of people would experience at a local cross race. They're metal as well. They have some metal tubing on there to make sure that they're durable it's you know it's it's got some consequence to it more than what normal people would experience in normal race uh do you did you before you started bunny hopping barriers Cody did you work your way up on something like that yeah um
2: I actually started I went to this old construction yard and I found these like beams that had you know they were cut at 12 inches long they were never going to be used again and they were 12 inches high and started bunny hopping you know and I'd knock them over like a book and to keep going at it, but it didn't have a, uh, it was zero consequence. So you're able to just keep going and going and going. And then you start to just build the confidence. I think that's a lot of it too. If if you feel like you can bunny hop on a mountain bike, you probably can on a cross bike, but they're just having the confidence and not looking at that first barrier, you know, just looking through them and you know, nice. like just checking out
3: almost. How much you know? practice did it take you to be able to bunny hop a barrier?
2: Oh, a long time. Yeah, like a <laughs> long time. <laughs>
3: like like, yeah. one season, five times a week.
2: Um. Yeah, I mean, I was, I started pretty young. I was always kind of amazed by guys who did it. Um, when I first got into racing, it seemed like Todd Wells was probably one of the only guys that was hopping barriers. Uh, and so I was just like, Whoa, this is crazy. Um, I want to learn how to do that. And so, yeah, it was probably a full season to learn how to do it properly
0: mm-hmm.
2: and not just feel like a total spaz. Are you glad
3: mm-hmm. that you learned it? Do you think it's faster? Like to have that? Yeah.
2: That yeah you got to have your... that tool in your tool book for sure. Yeah. In your playbook. Yeah, yep. absolutely.
0: Yeah. One instance. And, and like you said, it's not always faster. Mm-hmm. And, and, One thing that I see a lot of people do is they'll session something they'll practice it and practice it. But then when you're seeing cross-eyed and you've been, you know, pushing yourself hard in the middle of a race, it's super, it's very different. Um, and, and I think that it's important to remember to like, think of like the, the speed that you will carry through an obstacle and in the risk that you could have on crashing or anything else like that, like bunny hopping, the barriers will get you Instagram followers for sure. Um, but it may not necessarily win the race and it could cost you your race. Whereas running that race or running the barriers, it's probably, there's a lesser, lesser likelihood that it's going to end your race with a crash. And you may actually even be more efficient in some cases. So it's, it's tricky. Do you weigh, how do you decide that's a barrier? I want to jump. That's a barrier. I don't want to jump.
2: Yeah, so I've got just a ten for ten for ten for ten rule, and if I can't do it 100% of the time, I'm not gonna do it at all. You know, I, I sometimes there's outliers in the race that will force you off or whatever it may be. But if I can't hop it every single lap of the race, I'm not gonna do it. And if I can't hop it 100% of the time in practice, I won't do it, because that one time you mess up is gonna be the second time you mess up in the you know in the race. Yes. Yeah. So if you can't do a ten for ten, don't bother. It's not worth it. That's smart. And there's times where I'm like, got it, barely. Next time, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> nope, it's not happening today. We jump
3: right now to about pre-riding a course? Yeah, let's do it. So like when you guys pre-ride a course, it sounds like like one thing I don't see. So I I go to a lot of local cross races. People just go around in circles, Mm. right? And I'm not, is that the way that the pros approach it too? Or are you guys trying to like, you see a technical spot and you try it 10 times in a
2: row? Yeah, you definitely should be, I like to call it course inspection, not just pre-ride. Um, and it can be fun when you're out riding with your buddies and, you know, chit-chatting and pre-riding, but you want to be inspecting the track. You know, you want to be seeing, uh, checky sections, techie sections. Um, I think everybody out here this weekend is seeing that hillside and they're wanting to try it time after time, after time, after time. So you you want to be inspecting the track for sure.
0: What were your goals, Courtney? Like when you went out for the pre-rides that you've done on the course so far, what was your goal with with the pre-ride? Like, Were you already pinpointing certain things off of a course map, or did you just want to get the lay of the land, then break it down? How did you go through that process?
1: I always like to do one lap slow and just get the lay of the land of the, the course, um, and then I'll come back and there's a section that I know I need to pre-ride or I want to check out different lines, then I go back the second lap. I'll pre-ride or I'll go back and you know do it so many times, but I, I think that it's possible for you to overthink a section, and if you hit it too many times, um, because you're like, oh, I didn't write it well that time. I didn't write it well that time. I want to keep going. Like, you're just going to kind of deteriorate and you're not going to write it well if you start overthinking it. And I think it's good to kind of step back from that and be like, you know what? I have another day. So it's nationals. Like yesterday, for example, that hillside, I, wasn't, I didn't like my lines that I was taking. I kept being like, okay, I need to do it differently. You need to do it differently. But I kept doing it the same way. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm just going gonna, gonna to come back tomorrow. And you know, I'll, do, I'll do my hot laps and check out those lines again that I want to do on a new day and um, so I think just kind of stepping back and get the lay of the land scope out what you want to hit check out different lines you know after you've figured out the course um, and and you're like okay I've done a lap or I've done two and go from there.
0: Sense. you mentioned that Nate like kind of with coping with situations that are either inspiring fear or frustrating you because oh, yeah. you can't figure them out
3: that 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 really steep section mm-hmm. that's for, to me that's for those who don't know at cross nationals there's this it's changed every day but it's a kind of like an S turn, off camber. It's been sticky, frozen, slippery. <laughs> Lots of people fall in it. Yeah. And it to me it gets in my head, right? But I and I kind of I shy away from it. But how much time would you guys put like if you had a tricky section in a course, I know Courtney you just said you don't want to get it in your head. But Cody, how many times would how much time would you spend sessioning a, a tricky section of a course?
2: I think for the the you know kind of general racer they should spend enough time where they can can get a hold of it but if you find yourself always getting hung up on it maybe you know just move past it and come back to it later Mm -hmm. on um a a section like that that's a pretty key component for this weekend's track but sometimes i'll see folks riding you know maybe a little tricky stump in one turn of the track just over and over and over and over again you're like all right this is one turn out of you know 15 on one lap and you're going to do the, you know, six, seven times, yeah. you know, you're dwelling too much on one spot. Mm-hmm. So I think it depends on how large of a chunk. Cause this is a, that's a huge section of the of tr- uh, the, the track. Um, so it, it depends if you keep fighting yourself on it, move past it, come back to it, maybe just watch some folks. Um, don't, don't waste too much time for
0: sure. Mm-hmm. How do you, um, one thing that we also noticed on this course, and this is on the pre-riding side of things, we'll go back to some obstacles that we face, but one thing we notice, and in this particular section, it's a steep off camber descent into a, basically a 90 degree turn, where then it just cuts directly across the side of the hill. And we noticed in the early days with the course, when it was still getting worn in that the line was basically in the direct center of the course. And it was almost that way around the whole course, right? It's almost like that safe line. How Courtney, when you're looking at a course, do you just check out that line or are you the type of person that's exploring the space, so to speak?
1: Um, you know, I think as a writer, it's really easy to be like, oh, look, there's the line. But we need to, we all need to, and I could do a better job, too, just opening up my eyes to checking out different lines. Like um, Jonathan had told me about this other line going into it. And I was like, yeah, I saw somebody take that yesterday. And so that's the line I've been writing going into it. And it was it was great. And um, I think it is, it's just trying to open up your perspective to, to this course instead of just hitting the line that you see that's built in. Because, you know, you, you hear it all the time that that's not necessarily the best line. That's just... The line that's there yeah and then I always like to especially in like grass once once the grass gets torn away and then it's just brown <laughs> there's not a lot of traction there yeah. and and so you know by the time we we race on Sunday at a, an event like nationals like that actually isn't the line anymore because it's not there's not a lot of traction and you can if you widen out a turn and find the green there's a lot more traction in green than there is in brown
0: yeah yeah. I, I noticed that when everything was frozen this morning and I crashed four times. Yeah. Um, so, uh, do you mind if we jump back to barriers or yeah. do you want? Yeah. Or sorry, obstacles, yeah, sand. Yeah. Um, we have a sand section on this course, but it's really not that long. It's a pretty short sand section. It's not that deep. I would say like it's, it's, it's pretty rideable as far as sand sections go. What are the key things you remember when you go into sand? Like what are the things that you need to do in order to make it through staying on the bike?
2: Yeah, Um, I think there's a a pretty big misconception on riding in sand. It's always the like lean back, keep the weight off the front end, and just like kind of hope that it doesn't flop on you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think actually, if you watch, I don't know, I've studied the Euros for so long, and there's races that are all sand. You start to see how they ride, Uh, and they actually shift their weight forward. Um, it gets really centered on the bike, kind of right on the tip of the saddle, like TT style almost. There's an epiphany um, around the whole yeah. room right yeah. now. <laughs> was powerful. Yeah. Um, if, if you're here in the room, if you're online, I highly recommend go watch, go find the World Cup at Coxide on YouTube. Watch those guys. Um, but they slide forward. They actually like hover above the seat a couple of inches, yeah. and they're just driving those pedals like pistons, straight up and down, yeah. um, core tight, arms bent, versus the like, you know, lean back, and watch that front wheel just wash all over the place. I noticed too the pros...
3: You'll, they'll do that hover thing and then they'll be throwing their body around. Mm. Why do mm. they do that?
2: They're trying to keep the bike straight. So, you know, contrary to climbing or something where you want to keep yourself straight and the bike moving beneath you, uh, you want to keep the bike now pinning it straight and you want to move and, and fish cause you want to stay in that rut. As best as possible. There's,
0: do you a, there's there's a principle that's being enacted there with the, the bike body separation principle that I think is really important. It benefits you across, especially in cyclocross, on the, every part of the course. That's really important to have. But sand's like a really interesting one. It, if I could ask one thing on on sand, where do you look? Because this morning. Uh, we were watching the juniors and I saw a lot of juniors paying attention to the rut that was in front of them and how they were going to follow that. And in most cases they weren't successful in getting through the sand section. So do you, are you guys still doing the normal look ahead thing or are you actually trying to pick a line, pick a rut Courtney?
1: Oh dear. Um, sand is not really my forte. <laughs> <laughs> so I, <laughs> um, I just. Try to keep pedaling and look forward and (laughs) hope I can stay in the rut. (laughs) Um, Sand is definitely something that I need to practice (laughs) and I should do a better job about practicing it. Uh, But, you know, like I live in the Northwest and our sand is rocky. Like we don't really there's no sand anywhere for me to go practice. So that's just that's a challenging feature for me at home uh, because I don't I don't really have that around in my training grounds. Mud. Yes. Sand. Not really.
2: Cody, what about you? Uh, you want to look a little bit ahead for sure. Um, uh, not towards the end of the sand pit. You want to stay you know, focused on what's right in front of you. Uh, and if you can steer into that, that trough or, you know, if you get out of it, don't be so frustrated to get, try to fight back into it. Just keep kind of making your own route. Um, but you know, I'm surfing a couple bike lengths ahead of me with my eyes, seeing what's okay. coming up.
3: I see people kind of like, they almost like jump ruts, mm-hmm. right? They're kind of going and they jump to another one and then to another one. Do you do that too?
2: Uh, I don't think that's on purpose. I think it just. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's just. Oh, it going, looks cool. That's where we're going over here now, buddy. We're going over here now.
0: Okay. Yeah. Just going with the flow. Yeah, exactly. And when you when get
1: you that, get in that red. It feels really good. You're like, well, oh, I'm so fast.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: when you hit that rock, that bottom, you yeah, you accelerate quite quickly. Yeah.
3: When you when you have that bike body separation and they're throwing themselves around, is it just when you get into that phase? Do you just feel it? or is it like something that's planned like do they see oh i'm gonna have to then lean to this side or lean to the side or is it just a reaction
2: just reaction you, you definitely want to be able to steer and counter steer to keep yourself into it but that's not the plan like the plan is to do whatever you need to do to stay in it but mm-hmm. it's not to to steer you know if you don't have to sometimes you just it clicks and it's like pedaling on flat ground uh, you know, on, on grass so it's you know it's kind of a combo
0: If I could add one other thing to that too, you mentioned the bike body separation. I think that there's a benefit in terms of maintaining even traction and torque with that Uh, a lot of the time, if you're really trying to pedal hard and you, you aren't riding with like a lot of core strength or like a good position on the bike. I see a lot of people that, that Bob on the bike, you know, when they do that. And this morning, like the juniors, for example, I saw a lot of them doing that. And then it just took like three or four big undulations like that. And they'd put themselves down deep into a hole. But that separation that you do having a lot of tension through the legs and you're pedaling like that, i noticed the top gut, the top kids, they were able to f- hover their way through and they weren't bouncing in that sand as nearly as much it can be helpful.
2: Yeah. It's, it's just, it's always pressure on the gas. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, it's keeping the tire in contact with the ground as best as possible. And it's, I'd say for the little guys, it's almost that when you're watching and you're like, Oh, they're, they're digging themselves deeper. What's actually doing more harm is when they're unweighting themselves off of the sand. And now you're losing all that traction, Mm -hmm. that forward momentum. I think that's more important than, than digging down in. Uh, so you just want to keep that constant pressure on the gas, kind of feathering it and it's okay to actually halt momentum to then be able to keep on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point.
3: Let's talk about mud for Courtney.
0: <laughs>
3: so the, today we we had some muddy, um, a couple muddy days. What? How do you guys like? Let's talk about off camber with mud because I think that's one of the hardest things, right? And it might you probably won't have that tomorrow, but how do you guys ride an off camber section with mud, Courtney? <laughs> Someone said careful. carefully. <laughs>
1: always keep your eyes up, right? <laughs> you don't want to look where you don't want to go. Um, where you don't want to go in um, off-camera that's muddy. I always like to start at the top in anticipation that I might slide down, and um, so that there's space for me to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know it's eyes up trying to maintain, you know, much like grinding sand, you're going to end up having to move your hips in one direction to keep your bike upright. You don't want to lean your bike onto that downhill because you're just going to slide with it. You want to keep your bike upright as much as you can in that off-camber and move yourself around that bike.
0: Something cool you just implied there is that you're, so you start high in the anticipation that you could very well end up going lower. Yeah. So that means that you're okay. If your bike starts to slide, you don't just abandon ship.
1: Exactly. You want to be okay with anything happening. I mean,
0: yeah, so if it gets a little, if you start sliding, you don't just unclip and, and yeah. call it quits, you actually just keep going. Exactly, and then try yeah. to commit to it. So,
1: yeah.
3: Cody, when do you know to unclip? Because I think in the lower categories, mm-hmm. C people start to slide, and they're, oh, i got to bail right they're away. They're unclipped before they get there. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <they're> like <laughs> yeah. I might slide yeah. here. I'm going to walk this.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you definitely, you want to unclip before you come to a complete halt. Uh, if you're If you're going down, you know, the captain stays with the ship, but don't go down with the ship, maybe in this case. You, know? you don't want to hit the ground. Um, but you, uh, you definitely want to anticipate yourself slowing or kind of getting below that running pace because if you're going lower than running pace, it's faster to be running. You know, so you want to stay on top of that kind of average, average setup.
3: Do you guys just keep pedaling?
2: Jonathan always says just keep swimming, like just yeah. keep pedaling.
0: <laughs> like from yeah, from finding finding yeah. you know. Yeah. Very good quote. Yeah. <laughs> it is a good quote. Yeah, it I, is. Yeah, yeah. I think it
2: depends on on where you're going, uh, what's coming up. There's so many dynamics to it. But again, like in saying you wanna keep that constant kind of feather on the gas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you always wanna be pedaling. You want to be leaning, uh, you know, into the hill if it's still an off camber. I think a lot of folks they want they picture leaning into the hill like, hey, I'm putting my weight further uphill. But you actually want to put your weight downhill to like help that bike stand upright, yeah. you know. And so that keeps the traction patch of that tire into the mud. There's, yeah, there's so many things that go into it. But yeah,
0: all I think of with that as skiing. Um, when you ski, you you know to arc a turn, a proper turn, you want to have at least in the beginning for sure. You want to have the majority of the weight on the outside ski. And when you're talking about bicycle riding too, the reason that you drop that outside foot and you weight that outside foot is because you want to maintain that center of mass over the contact patch, right? Instead of pushing the weight inside and reducing that contact patch. Mm -hmm. So how do you, is that something where this off camera that we have here in Reno? It's, it's not quite, I guess in some spots you could clip pedal. If you keep pedaling all the way through, um, depending on, I guess the line that you're taking, but if you do clip your pedal in that situation, what is, I mean, other than the fact that it's a completely natural, probably even zero thought process going into the reaction. How do you guys recover from that? Because that's one of the biggest things that I've seen on this off camber is that it's all good until I clip a pedal and then, then feed her out on, on that one. So how would you react if you clipped your pedal on that off camber?
1: Get off my bike as fast as possible and start running.
0: Okay. That's actually smart, I mean, right? Right.
1: Like if that, mm-hmm. I mean, cause if you clip your pedal, you might be on the ground. Mm-hmm. right there's always that that possibility um if you just clip it and you're and it's fine it didn't affect you keep moving forward um but if you find that it kind of stalled you out you lost your front wheel you lost your back wheel you're i mean maybe you lost your traction completely with it Then, i mean just anticipate that get off and run huh, that's
0: i think most people get off and stop they either pray yeah. they're thankful <laughs> they're their lives and like that right yeah <laughs> Uh, that's that's I, you could probably apply that advice to every single thing right yeah like do you, like that's keeping that that's
1: the best that, part about <laughs> cyclocross when i first started racing cross i had no off road skills whatsoever but i was like i can just run it
0: like, it's okay. <laughs> right? Like, it's okay to I'm run. I'm safe <laughs> on two feet. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's really cool. <laughs> um, if we could talk about, I I, I don't want to get into turns necessarily because those are like, th- that's kind of like, th- there are a lot of basic things. We've done, we've talked with the guys on the Cliff Bar podcast about that. You should listen to that if you haven't listened to it. Uh, we talked all about line choice and pedaling through turns and crits and all that stuff. And a lot of the same advice, I'm sure, happens here. The one thing I did want to talk about, though, is in this case, Uh, we have ruts that have developed in certain spots on this course. Uh, how's the best way to say this? Do you guys avoid ruts or I guess, how do you classify a rut as a favorable thing or something that you should avoid? Is there a golden rule or a rule of thumb that you guys follow with that?
2: Uh, it it depends on where the rut's going and what it's doing. You know, if it's a good safety catch for yourself, you definitely want to be in it. Uh, if it's going the wrong direction or it's, you know kind of not where you want to be, then I would definitely steer clear of it. Um, it, yeah, it, it, I think it goes back a little bit. So you're asking about if you're just following that main line, uh, I'm the guy that looks way off the main line. Cause it's probably where the better, better setup is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's not where the rut's going to be. And so you can always skip across it and then move to the other side or, you know, if it happens to be this, just rip and turn and there's a rut there, you like drop into that thing and you know, let it cool. carry itself around.
0: So For ruts sure. are not your enemy. They can be good, but then don't let them just perfectly decide where you're going on the course. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. yeah, that's, that's a good tip. I think Do you want to jump ahead to like race day or race week. Yeah, preparation? let's do it. Cause let's not cover bike swaps because let's be real. If one of us gets a mechanical and we're average Joe's we're done anyway. So, yeah. um, uh, actually one thing on that before we go, cause I'll forget about this one. Do you guys carry a head unit or do you, ha- how do you collect the data? I guess on the bike, do you, do you have like a garment on the bars or do you run a wristwatch? What do you do?
1: Um, so in the past I've always run a garmin uh, but on my uh, on my bars and this year I've had a lasine. GPS watch. So it's been the first time I've ever raced with a watch and it's been glorious. It's been nice to not have that head unit to stare at and be like, my heart rate's at 185 beats per minute. I'm going to die. I have to slow down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Like,
1: yeah, I don't, I don't have that. And so I, you know, I'm not going to take the time to like pull my hand up and look at what my heart rate is. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, this is really hard, but I'm just going to push harder. So I've been a fan of the watch.
0: Sweet. Cody,
2: how about you? Uh, I've always been pretty, like, anti-data, so I never had anything, right. um, and I recently got a watch just to snag KOMs on Strava, <laughs> so all I'm going to catch those suckers. Um, I, I don't race with a heart rate monitor. I don't use power. Um, it's strictly, like, straight-up time, yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, it's, it's just, um, I, I, I love this thing. I ride with it all the time now, but I don't collect any data from it, Right. but it's just cool to have.
0: Yeah. I'm a tech, yeah.
2: I'm a tech nerd. It's cool. If,
0: if you yeah. do end up having a bike swap situation, I can definitely see that being a pain trying to yeah. fumble around and grab a Garmin and move. Which it is over. why
2: I thought it was always funny that like yeah. guys ride Garmin's. It's like, oh well, wow, you have 20 minutes of today's race. Congrats, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. just, you know, don't use it. You're good. Yeah, yeah, good point. And too, like, if your heart rate's at 190 beats, are you gonna slow down because you're going too hard? Like, yes. no, it doesn't help you. So that's did, why I don't use heart rate monitor. We did yet. a
0: whole podcast on that like a couple yeah. weeks ago. Oh, oh, so we don't did. look at heart rate. No. Yeah, <laughs> so especially during a race. Yeah, no.
1: yeah. it just kind of like who gets in your head. So So let's get into this. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So like
3: one week, let's let's use nationals, right? You're one week out from a big cross race. I'm guessing you guys want to do a lot, right? What do you do like leading up to that week? Are you, first, are you guys trying to peak for this race?
1: I think ideally everybody would be.
3: Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Well, some people, some people don't and they have other priorities.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Okay. So one week out, let's, let's like walk through how early are you going to get to Reno where you're going to race? What kind of workouts are you doing a week out?
0: All right, you can even say in, uh, how it differs from what you would do otherwise. Yeah, in terms of the workouts, yeah.
2: For me, being somewhat local, I'm out of Sacramento. Uh, it's an easy drive up here, so I was up here on Monday. I walked the track and, and dropped some stuff off, and was able to go home. And then I stuck to can my. Can I stop
3: you right there? Yeah, walk the track. Yeah, Jonathan just walked the track with me the first time, and it opened up my mind. Can you describe <laughs> like? Yeah, because I don't I don't see people doing this before a cross race, walking the track. Everyone just rides it. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about walking the track. What do you look for? What is it Too uh, um, sounds selfish? You're
2: just, but. yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's straight up walking the track, just heading out like you would at the start line and all the way to the finish line on foot, uh, just checking stuff out. And it's, I think it's good to see things at a different pace. You're going to pick up on things that you're looking down at your feet and seeing what's ahead of you versus, you know, having a whiz by you at 15 or 20 miles an hour or, you know, or whatever if you're on that descent. You're not, you're not looking at what the descent has to offer you. You're looking at that like death trap of a hay bale, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, down at the you know the apex of the turn. Um, so walking the track lets you open up and see a lot of things, and you're like okay, I need to I need to be left and shoot to the right here, or be left, or be right and shoot left, or whatever it may be.
3: Okay, so you came Monday, you walked the track, and then what else did you do?
2: Uh, I went home, uh, and then I turned into, you know, usual travel mode. So if we had to fly, like, last year to Hartford, I'd fly on Thursday. I'd come and inspect the track Friday and Saturday and then race on Sunday. So once I was able to um, – like, once I got the track walked down and I turned into full travel mode, even though I'm just driving up, it was a Thursday arrival.
0: Okay. Is that the same for you too, Courtney? Is that, like, usual time frame you like to give yourself or – I flew in
1: yesterday morning, so Friday morning. I didn't really see a need for me to come any earlier than that. I flew in from Bellingham, just north of Seattle. Uh, I thought the extra night in my bed would be more beneficial than staying in a strange bed in unfamiliar territory. Yeah, I like, I like my own bed. Uh, I don't sleep well in places that aren't, aren't my bed. And so any extra time that I could have there, for me, it was beneficial.
3: So um, what kind of workouts are you guys doing like a week out and leading up to the actual race?
0: Are you doing really hard stuff? Are you shortening your workouts or are you just doing really easy stuff? Are you just not riding? (laughs) What are you guys doing?
1: Uh, Well, you want to keep your legs open, um, but also you want to make sure that they're fresh. So for me this week, you know, my volume definitely decreased. I did my last really hard workout last Sunday um, and then just shorter efforts uh, from there, like short sprints on Tuesday, shorter couple minute efforts on Wednesday and then easy thursday easy friday and openers today
3: so when you say short like like an hour's worth of working out yeah,
1: or hour, i did an hour i think on tuesday hour and a half on wednesday Are uh,
3: you, and you're doing that just outside anywhere in seattle or in washington yeah yeah
1: yeah um, yeah i rode outside the weather's been really bad <laughs> um, but yeah, 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 I rode outside. I think I rode the trainer on Thursday because it was just, it was like 38 degrees and rainy. <laughs> and I was like, I don't need to go out there for an easy spin. That looks miserable.
0: Um, Cody, for you, do you turn down volume as well, but maintain intensity or, or how do you usually taper in for a big week like this?
2: Yeah, for me, I've always been uh, way more uh, intensity driven than uh, endurance driven. Like, I don't ride a lot of long hours. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, during the season, my longest rides are like two and a half hours, three hours, which most people would probably think I'm just crazy for. <laughs> um, but I respond way better to a lot of high speed constant on the gas. Uh, we raced last Sunday and the last time I raced before that race was three weeks ago and that race went horrendous because I was so far off the bike, just, you know, Mm. on the gas, like I'm, I'm training hard, but it's not racing. Uh, and so I've always been more speed work. So we raced last Sunday. I motor paced on Wednesday, did some hard efforts on Tuesday. Um, trying to keep that pace super high. Gotcha. Yeah. It's, it's what works for me for sure. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't prescribe that to anybody, but
3: yeah. (laughs) What, What about the day before the
2: race? uh, definitely, uh, openers. We got out there today. We did a couple of, um, simulating kind of like attacking, rolling hard and then attacking again. Um, probably around a minute and a half to two minutes total. That's more like how I'm feeling. Like, okay, I've gone pretty hard. I'm going to back off now. Mm -hmm. Um, I do a lot of today's work based on how I'm feeling in any race weekend.
3: After you guys do the openers the day before a big race, do you do anything different nutritionally? Yeah, or you just kind of eat just regular. I know some people might want to do a recovery drink or something like that But do you guys do that? I don't
2: I uh, I like good old food. I, I don't uh, <laughs> I, do I don't drink any concoctions Um, yeah, it's a nice good sandwich or something Courtney same with I you do
1: both. I do a recovery drink and then I try to eat as soon as I can
2: So that
3: brings me to my next question is how do you guys eat race week? Especially when you travel like there's the you know, the food that you have at home But then when you come to Reno, how, how do you guys eat before a big race?
0: I
1: try to keep everything as similar as possible uh you know, travel day, eating is always really hard. Um, but beyond that, you know, I know what works for me on a race weekend. So I just try to stand what works at home. So I just try to stick to the same eating routine. I'll just pick up the same um, fruits and vegetables that I would eat at home. I had when I was in Europe in November, staying with a couple of other gals. Um, one of the gals commented, she's like, well, you literally eat the same thing every day.
3: <laughs> Can you tell us what that is?
1: <laughs> um, it's usually like meat, (laughs) Uh, we got like chicken, and I'll saute up some veggies and then maybe a grain with it. And I'm okay eating the same thing every day with maybe a different flavoring on it.
0: There's something so to too that. It's a cute. steamed broccoli,
2: boiled chicken, and rice. Uh, that yeah. sounds amazing.
1: <laughs> is that what you do too, Cody? like that. No, no, no. Yeah. But, that's but a- you know, I love pizza too and we have a pizza oven in our backyard and so I eat pizza once a week and I really like cookies so I, I eat cookies if I want. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a good point though is that you've kind of designed, well, and perhaps not intentionally so, but it's been beneficial in the sense that you have a consistent diet and it's something that you can replicate.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if
0: you're like, if you're the type of person that needs only organic, you know, chard that comes from your neighbor's garden or something like that, and you can only live off that, it's going to be hard to find that when you're traveling. So that, that's a good point. If, if anything, what you know, that's doing is at least at the very least, it's making it repeatable.
3: Mm. Cody, what about you?
2: Um, I think you're spot on just like staying comfortable for one. Uh, I think that's, that's key. So eat places that you're familiar with. Um, I try, I, I like good food. So I try to find some good local Italian places and, and not steering too far into, you know, crazy territory. So Olive
0: Garden, um, right? Yeah, don't, <laughs> <just> joking, <laughs> Totally.
2: Um, but you know, I stick to things that I'm always consistent. You know, I'm comfortable with, um, can't deny I love me some Chipotle. Um, it's always predictable. Um, yeah, I just, I just try to eat simple. I don't eat exotic foods. I don't, you know, I'm not gonna go loading up on some like Indian spicy curry dish the night before. That's gonna be trouble. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't think you can uh, can dwell too much on what you can or can't find on the road, too.
3: What about race day morning? Do you guys have like a special? Because I think a lot of people have. This is my meal for race day. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have a special breakfast that you do? And if you do, what is it?
1: I eat the same thing every day.
0: So
3: what <laughs> thanks Courtney. Well, so Courtney, what do you have for breakfast
1: uh, I usually eat two eggs with some avocado and on a slice of toast or um, tortilla and cheese with avocado and eggs
2: now that sounds good Yep. Yeah.
1: Cody, <laughs> Cody, what how you? Are
2: you? with salsa uh, breakfast varies for me uh, regardless of what time of day we're racing in I do uh, three eggs and rice and a cup of rice uh, for about four three and a half hours before the race and that's just consistent I'm on that train for sure but uh, I'm totally cool with it. It always works for me. Uh, a little bit of Bragg's aminos on there, maybe some sriracha and call uh, it a day. How do you uh, cook the rice if you're traveling? Uh, I try to always find a place that has a kitchen. Uh, if not, the whole foods hot bar is my jam. I'll get the, uh, the hard boiled eggs that are in the salad bar and then the, the steamed rice. You can always get steamed rice pretty much anywhere. Uh, and then make it, I've had some pretty terribly overcooked <laughs> hard boiled eggs, but again, it gets the job done.
0: Yeah. So, Great. I assume both of you guys have mechanics. Um, and, and that probably are, are, do they go to all the races with you or, or sometimes are you left alone on your own devices for bike mechanics? I
1: always make sure to have a mechanic with me cause I don't know how to work on my bike.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you, um, so what, do, how do you like with tire pressure? Do you just tell your mechanic and do that or do you take care of those, that sort of stuff?
1: Um, Kind of a combi- combination of both, okay. depending on, you know, what the mechanic is doing. And if I want my tire pressure set right now, I'll
0: just do it myself. Okay. Uh, that I can do. Uh, Cody, uh, do you have mechanics that always travel with you or do you take care of that yourself?
2: Uh, I do have guys that always travel with me. Uh, and generally, I'm super predictable with tire pressure. So they, they set it for me and let me know. Like, all right, you're ready to go.
0: Uh, do you guys do anything else on your equipment, like pre-race or like a checkover? Anything else? Uh, like stem bolts, things like that, you know? it might not want to come undone or do you guys just trust the mechanic and go with it
1: oh i i trust my mechanic <laughs>
0: agree yeah for sure it's like 100
1: well, percent, right but that's why you want to make sure that you have a mechanic that you can trust that nothing's going to go wrong
0: i think it's I think that it's crucial and obviously in every discipline, but in cross, especially because you push these bikes and cross really, really hard. And I've seen a lot of people either blow their tires or blow spokes out of the rim. There's a, there's a ditch you have to jump on this course or, or run through. And I've seen people blow spokes out of their wheels. There do plenty of things that seem like, you know, if you're doing simple maintenance, you know. If you have a mechanic, you guys live a lush life there, but yeah. for the rest of us on the bike mechanic side of things, we'll have to talk to your mechanics at some other point, I guess, yeah. to get more detailed. Well, let's
3: there, talk but. about tire pressures. Cody, you said it's always dialed. How do you guys decide? I always struggle with this. How do you know what the right tire pressure is for the course? And can you guys just tell us kind of like what tire pressures you guys run for? I like guess it's, it's always 33, right? That you're racing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> this this is like the hardest question to answer because everything is uh, rider dependent and rider weight dependent and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Uh, for me, I always ride 28 PSI on a dry tire and I always ride 25 in a mud tire. That's simple. It's one less thing for me to worry about. Dry conditions are always dry conditions and wet conditions are always wet conditions. Uh, and I ride a higher pressure than most folks would consider. I think a lot of folks in like the mud range would be 18-ish. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm 160 pounds, so that's like a good weight. I think that's something that needs to be included when you're throwing out pressure because Courtney definitely is not going to be running 28, um, you know, on a dry pressure. And so that's those go hand in hand for sure.
3: Cody, before we go to Courtney, can uh, you tell us what tires and you'd run for dry and mud?
2: Mm -hmm. Exact tires. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I read for specialized. So we read the specialized tracer Mm -hmm. on the dry. There's a new version this year uh, at both of their tires and compounds. Uh, I do still have some of the old tracers. um, So I read both of those in the dries and then uh, their new Terra in the mud. What are those
0: race? clinchers or tubulars?
2: Tubulars, for sure. Tubulars. Yep. What will you race uh, tomorrow? I'm going to ride the new <laughs> tracer. New, right. That's a new file tread. Intermediate dry file tread. How
0: Courtney? about you, Courtney, with pressure? What do you run?
1: Um, so again, like Cody said, it's very course dependent. Uh, but I knew going into this course, from what I had seen, that looked like there was a lot of rocks. Um, and the ground was pretty hard packed. So I started yesterday with a higher pressure of 23, 24 And felt like I didn't have as much traction as I wanted going into it. So I dropped my pressure today to 22, 23 and felt a lot more confident. Um, And, you know, due to it being a dry course, that's typically around the pressure. I usually start 23, 24, and I'll go from there. Um, In muddy conditions, I've gone down as low as like 17 in the front, 18 in the rear. Um, Unlike Cody, I don't have a specific mud pressure because I think all, all mud is different. Some mud is tacky. Mm-hmm. Um, and um grippy like mud in the northwest it's actually really kind of sandy mud so you have a lot of grip with it but you go out to like cincinnati um here it's peanut was, butter
0: it's like peanut butter on a table here. and yeah. it's
1: so so slippery and so like i'd probably run a higher pressure mud pressure in the northwest than i would in that that i ran in cincinnati this year with it being as slippery as it was
0: that makes sense. Do you want to jump to race start? Um, yeah. Uh, one thing, though. Let's talk about your warm-ups. Oh, yeah. Do you guys, I assume you do a warm-up before every race? What What does that look like in terms of the structure? Are you just like, a, I, I, I assume you're not just a pedal around type of person and, and let, her, let her fly once the gate goes. But what do you do for your warm-ups, Courtney?
1: Um, so I will usually, you know, I try to get in a couple of, you know, warm-up laps let's say on race day um, and I'll incorporate those into my warm-up so if I get in three laps let's say like that's already that's a half an hour and so my warm-ups are usually pretty short and I keep them between it also depends on the temperature so I try to keep it between 20 to 25 minutes but if it's hot like it was at the early season races I'll only warm up for 15 minutes and I typically start with just like easy pedaling and then do a little into the zone three then I'll do Two minutes into zone four, back it off for a minute, two minutes, back it off for a couple of minutes, then some three short 20-second sprints, and then a couple e- easy minutes off, and then it's time to go.
0: Awesome. How about you, Cody? What's your warm-up structure look like?
2: I'm always right about 20 minutes. Okay. Um, gives me the ability to just get the legs rolling. I, again, would ride you know, a few laps before, but that's going to be a pretty good distance from when, uh, when you're last on the track to when you're actually warming up. So about half an hour out, I'll go and ride for 20 minutes and then I'll just see how I'm feeling. Always some openers, but if I'm feeling real sluggish, I'll do a few more. If I'm feeling real peppy, do a few less based on how I was feeling on the day before and in the, the efforts, so to say. Uh, and then 10 minutes before the start, we're, we're at the start line.
3: Yeah. That's just going to ask. So do you try to end your warm up 10 minutes before the start? Always. Yeah. Courtney, what about you?
1: Um, 20 I'm slow. I need that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just straight up I am. I got to go to the bathroom, you know, the whole skin suit situation. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just want to make sure that I'm fully prepared. And I am terrified of missing my
0: call-up. So with with call-ups, actually, good segue. Cardi, Cardi? Hold on real quick. Yeah, so yeah. for
2: me, I think for people warming up, I warm up prepared. Yeah. Like So uh, that's a concern <laughs>
0: for me too. I'm
1: pretty prepared.
2: <laughs> Was not a I have everything
1: not, in my helmet, including nah. my clean glasses, my aqua my little the helmet goes on your head,
2: I, and, and glasses <laughs> go on your face. So, so you
1: you warm up with those?
2: I do. All, oh, I actually like warm up on Already on? The road. on yeah, um, I do. See, so like, I
1: do, my glasses would get sweaty, and
2: so even if I'm on the trainer, it's though, it's like helmet on, glasses in the helmet, gloves in my pocket. So then he can so roll on, is, is and I'm going straight. To you this could
1: push point. him off the trainer, and he'll be safe.
2: Pretty much, yeah. I do. I drive in the car with my helmet on.
3: you also said you do sometimes on the trainer and sometimes on the
2: road. Well, it depends where we're at. If I can get on the road, I always will get on the road. Sometimes it just doesn't warrant it, um, whether it's dangerous or, you know, crazy weather, whatever it may be, roads are tricky, whatever. Um, if I can get on the road, I'm always gonna be on the road. Even if it's raining, yeah, I'd prefer to get out there. Uh, you can feel better. You can feel yourself better on the road.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Call ups. Call ups. Let's go back to your perfect segue. Um, so what, if you get a bad call up, what's your start strategy? Are you the, I mean, obviously this is very contextually dependent. Um, but for example, today I was like last row, um, by my, my strategy was, was very brutish and my strategy was just to get to the front as soon as possible. And that front straight kind of like take no prisoners on the front straight and then settle in. But if you do get a bad call up, are you the type of person, like, how does your race strategy, I guess, differ from when you have a good call up? Did that work for you? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Different reasons, though. We don't need to talk about me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I always like to tell people to look for gaps. Uh, I think that's what people don't. You get kind of stuck looking at the wheel in front of you and you don't actually look for the open space. Yeah, and, and so if you're, you know, a couple lines off the front, obviously the front's going to be the best, but you know, the further back you are, you want to look for those gaps cuz there are there are going to be some. And don't be afraid to be a little aggressive. So
3: okay. You're you're actively trying like a crit racer to move up as soon as possible yeah. after that start sprint.
1: Mm-hmm. You're but you don't Yeah, exactly. But you want to be sure that you're not pushing yourself all the way into the red early on to like you get yourself up there and then you just blow up and you can't hang on and then you spend the next lap recuperating.
2: Cody, what about you? Uh, for me, it's, it's definitely like get to the front as quickly as possible. Even if I'm not there, uh, the race is going to go up the road with, with you or without you. And mm-hmm. so you need to do everything you can to get up there. And then if you find yourself sort of halting that forward momentum, then you got to sit in, start to mm-hmm. decide, you know, am I going to chill for the next half lap? Am I do, you know, sit in this group? Am I feeling peppy to get to at least the next group? But if that race goes off, if even if I'm at the back, I need to get to the front as quickly as possible, or just keep visioning getting to the front.
3: So you're more of envisioning. Um, of going as as going super deep to try to get that better position early in the race.
2: For me in, in my previous experience, yeah, that, that race goes away without you, you know, if you're not there. And so you gotta get there. Uh, and, and then if you know that or at least you tell yourself that's the group I need to be in, you somehow can generally get there too. You know, if you I also not you know settle in.
1: I think it's good to look at the start too that I think is underestimated that people don't, you know, you want to look at the start of the the race and try and anticipate where everybody's going to go and then know like, hey, everybody's going to vie for that line. So you know what? Maybe mm-hmm. if I swing wide, I can pass 20 people. Yeah. And I barely even, I didn't even put any energy into that.
0: Pro tip for tomorrow. There's a <laughs> rut on the inside that everybody takes because yeah. there's gravel that you have to cross. But if you go wide, you'll pass people for
1: mm-hmm. sure. And that was something that I was looking at. You know, I knew that start was like, you, you can see where people have been riding because they're pushing away that kitty litter off the start and it's a little looser on the outside, but you can see that, you know, if you kind of stay inside you' everybody's going to go there. It's possible that you can get pinched that you almost want to stay wide to get through
0: it. Yeah. That makes sense. Passing. Let's talk about that. Are there, is there a typical spot where on a course you're like waiting for this sort of an obstacle or this sort of a turn or this sort of anything do you have a favorite spot to pass on courses or a spot where you feel like passing is more likely?
1: I think it depends who you're trying to pass and what their strengths and weaknesses are. Okay. So you want, you know, you want to make the pounce during that your competitor's weakness so mm-hmm. that you can get by them and, and hopefully drop them if that's your intention. And um, so I don't
0: better be, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't really have a, a favorite place to pass. Okay. I just think it depends on who I'm trying to pass uh, and you know, what are, what are their skills versus my skills?
0: Cody, how about you?
2: I try to pass in what's ever eas- easiest for me, you know, use my strength, I mean, to my good. advantage.
0: So uh, you can, I, sorry, before you go on, hmm. that's different than what a lot of people think, because a lot of people think just pass like, okay, there's an opportunity. It's wide here <laughs> or something else, but you're actually looking for efficiency almost like, yeah. like in other words, if you, if I make this pass here, it'll cost me less in the end.
2: Yep. Yep. Definitely. I mean, if if, you know, say basic scenario, flat track, it's nice and wide and you, it doesn't suit anybody better than the other. It's time to pass, like by all means, get around them. Um, but I'm definitely looking for turn for turns that suit me, uh, technical sections that suit me, and I'm going to be passing there because it's easier on me. I don't want to gas myself on this super strong headwind and I'm sitting behind a freight train. I'm not going to be, you know, King Tut, be like, yeah, dude, I'm going to go to the front and pass this guy and then blow up again. <laughs> you know, that's the time to sit and conserve and then, you know, link up a couple of, you know, sweet, u-turns or whatever to pass um don't ever pass in the turn please but uh you know always try to find your your easiest route the path of least least resistance for sure let's say
3: if you're behind someone who's like a freight train but you know you have better technical skills than them Mm. do you try to maybe spend a little bit more energy to get into that technical section first
2: yeah yeah right that last second for sure yeah Yeah.
3: do you guys know that just racing as pros or do you just kind of feel it as you're doing laps with these people you know that they're not taking corners as fast as
2: you could a bit of both.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, especially, you know, you know we race against the same people week in and week out that you know what your competitors, you know, if you're staying domestic, you know what your competitors' weaknesses and strengths are. So you know, like, hey, I want to be in front of that person for the technical section because I know I can take it, a, take it a little bit better than they can.
3: This is a pet peeve of John and I. Do you guys get mad at each other like somebody in the sand? <laughs> <laughs> we see this. We watch people do this. There'll be a bunch of people going through the sand, and one person will stop. And at the lower categories, the person behind goes, "Oh, come on, buddy, why did you do that?"
0: Like you just, you I, just took my UCI license. Yeah, bro. exactly. They're like, "I was gonna win. Yeah, I was gonna dethrone Vanderpool, and then this happened, right?"
3: I don't see that in the pros. I see pros crash and stuff, and take out a bunch of people. Then they just keep going. Like,
0: is there is there like a? How do you deal with that yeah. discouragement or frustration?
1: It happens. You just move on. I mean, it's what it's one time and. I think if you get caught up in it. Only one time. (laughs) Well, at that moment, right? Or if you, you know, if you get caught up in it and you let it affect your whole race, what good is that doing for you? Mm. And you just move on. I mean, things happen. Are you guys
3: yelling at people or afterwards? Or is there anything like, (laughs) no, you know what I mean? Like after, so in the pro tour, they talk about people like being unsafe riders, right? And afterwards talking to people and saying, hey, you know, you you should not do that. Does that happen in Cross at all? Or is it,
2: is that, Nah, I, I wouldn't say it happens like you're an unsafe rider, but yeah. I would also say that if the same person or people keep doing the same things in front of me, I'm like, get out of the way, dude. Like, yeah. you know, it's, I don't know. Yeah. Can we jump into crashing for a second? Yeah. And then like, we
0: should open it. That was a very good pun, by the way. Um, but jumping into And then it. questions? Um, yeah, then let's open it right. up to questions.
3: So one thing that I, I've noticed watching a bunch of pro cross is you guys crash all the time. Like, I think more than everyone else does. Or is that your experience, too? And why is that, do you think?
2: I don't think I crashed. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Try not to. I, Knock yeah, on wood. Yeah. <laughs> really
1: trying not to crash. But I think, you know, we're just always riding on the edge. We're not afraid to take risks. I think those, or at least those people that are, you maybe you see crashing a lot, maybe they're okay with taking the risk. Like, I personally don't really like to crash. And um, so sometimes I look at it as a risk to reward. And if I think that there's a high risk of me crashing, I will go just a little bit slower. And um, I like to take my like today for openers, I tested out you know some of the corners to check the speed and I crashed. And and I like I like to get my crash over in my as Cody would call it, the course inspection so that I know I know my speed limit through the corners. Yeah.
3: That's a cool that's a key takeaway is I've never on a warm up lap been like, let's see how fast I can take this until I crash. <laughs> like <laughs> ever.
0: That's not your MO. You no, this <laughs> <No>. is <Biscuit laughs> buddy. <laughs> No, so that's, this is an interesting, I guess, I, uh, one thing that I I feel like I grasped from what you said there, Nate, is that cyclocross racers perhaps like, whereas if you crash on the road, the consequences are usually pretty darn high. You're moving really quick. It's a really hard surface and yeah, things, bad things can happen. Whereas cyclocross, I guess that it's a, it's a good environment to learn how to manage that, right? Because grass slower. Um, if you crash in the barriers uh, many times, it's just your pride that's hurt. Um, which it hurts a lot if you try to bunny hop a barrier and crash. So, um, but that's, I guess like where you're getting, is that where you're getting at Nate? Is that it's, it's, I guess a, a better realm to learn to manage that.
3: Yeah, uh, Who's uh, Vanderhaar? I think. Yeah. Like every race crashes like five times. In the barriers. Like <laughs> yeah. The other thing that you guys have I think he is. he
1: doesn't mind taking risks. You know, if you watch him, he just, he's, he's going. Yeah. yeah.
3: Another thing that the pressure for you guys is if when it's televised, if you're in 20th place, and you crash trying to bunny hop a barrier, they cut from the leaders right to you. Oh yeah. right, Like every time. Remember that tomorrow. Who doesn't yeah.
0: like a good crash video? Yeah, that's right? true. It's true. <laughs> Everyone
3: take some questions now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's take some from the audience here. Um, if anybody has a question for, for well, really for these two, um, yeah. if you have a question, feel free to raise your hand and we'll, we have plenty of Facebook questions that we can run through too. Um, please go ahead. So maybe you have time, but for those of us who have like, you know, are
3: amateurs, we have jobs or kids or all that kind of stuff constraints into, how much do you guys incorporate strength training so, to help with, you know, the short power versus the cross? I'm just going to repeat the question is, um, how much do you guys incorporate strength training into your cycling training?
1: I have my undergraduate and my master's in exercise science. I'm a huge pusher in strength training, not just um, for power components, but I think for strength and balance in life and on the bike. You know, you spend all these hours on the bike, you're building a lot of muscle imbalances that you need to equal it out with uh, time in the gym. And that's just my personal opinion. Do you do it in your own? I do. Hmm. Especially when I'm not having hip surgery. Uh, this, so the this season is a little bit harder, you know, the past couple of seasons, I actually backed off and I didn't and I notice it, you know, my back gets a little more sore. And um, I come back and I yeah, get back in the gym and I'm really sore and like, my you, know, you ride the bike and you just end up super kyphotic. And um, And so, hold on. on, What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) It means it means you're like this. (laughs) Your shoulders are super internally rotated. You kind of get that hunchback, and you're basically like a bike racer. Yeah,
2: Yeah. (laughs) I got you now. I got you.
1: (laughs) Pretty much, right? Your back muscles are overstretched, uh, and and so you know, again, in a large. This season, I tried to, you know, I back out the amount of days, but at least one day, you know, you need, ideally you'd get three days a week of strength training in to build one day to maintain. And so for me, um, uh, I would try to get
0: one day of strength
1: training in the gym this, this season. And it really helped.
0: You, you bring up an interesting point and actually your, your teammate, um, and pro mountain biker, Sophia Gomez, Villafane, she's with us here too. Um, she actually mentioned this to me too, that she had dropped her strength training for a short period of time and then she came back to it and then she said, I'm never doing that again. I'm just sticking with it. I'm not going to drop it off because mm-hmm. it can be pretty detrimental for that short period of time. Can we, you know, DOMS is never fun. So no,
1: you know, you know, you're walking funny down the stairs. <laughs> and you're like yeah. your butt hurts. Your shoulders are sore. Um, I think you know, like I said, that you just want to at least maintain. You don't, and especially when you're racing so much in the season, you don't want to fatigue yourself out from the strength training. Yeah, sure, back down your load uh, and don't do as heavy as you would, you know, leading up into the season.
2: Yeah, Cody, what about you? I do until the season begins. Yeah, so I, I do mostly plyometric style stuff. Not a lot of actual weights. A little bit with a kettlebell, but uh, late, early, early to late um, summer. Uh, early to late—that's pretty much the entire summer. But like I say, mid to late summer, and then all the way into fall, uh, and then right until the season starts. Yeah.
3: Cool. Uh, next question. Yes. the question was, uh, should I still do plyometrics during the season or just once a week?
2: I, I don't, uh, for me, I'm not a coach. You know, I, I, have somebody that I, you know, follow their, their lead on this cause it's far smarter than I am. Uh, but I don't do anything during the season. I think, yeah, I think it, uh, for me, the, the training shifts, it becomes much more, um, speed. And, you know, like obviously strength can help speed, but actual, you know, speed, speed.
3: And Courtney, you still do once a week for me.
1: I still do once a week. You know, and actually in season is when I try to focus a little bit more on body weight and uh, plyometrics. And, you know, I pull out the agility ladder or the coordination ladders that I like to call it with my clients. Um, just to keep that leg speed. And you still, you want to keep the power and plyometrics. You know, when you're doing a plyometric, you're not going to failure. You shouldn't be doing a plyometric to failure or you're going to hurt yourself, um, but you're just going to keep that snap in your muscles.
0: Great. That's a good point. Next question come on.
3: Okay. I got a question. How do you float up Belgian stairs? Cause I've seen so many people this week. You guys have probably all gone and watched people try it. And a lot of people fall right over, but it looks effortless when you do it. How do Cody?
2: It's like riding a pump track. Yeah. If you can picture that just a very smooth, constant, you know, rhythm, it's creating a rhythm for sure. That's kind of the big thing.
3: So do you, when you get to that first thing, are you pulling up your, mm. like, it's kind of like a hopping up a curb yep. for the first one. Yep. So you hop that and then what's the next movement that you do once you hop the first curb?
2: Imagine just trying to pick both tires up the same time, the same equal distance off the ground too, because you're moving forward. You don't have to be concerned about that lunging motion. It's just, mm-hmm. you know.
3: So you pick up the front wheel yep. and then it's both wheels at yep. the same time. Just pop, 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 pop.
0: You got pop, that, pop. that, Nate? Yeah, just like that pop pop, pop. Tomorrow, <laughs> he's gonna go do it right now he's ready
3: tomorrow or, he's gonna yeah. show me tomorrow are you I'm picking done. up with your cleats <laughs> or are you like kind of doing the way where you kind of push back
2: and pick up no with the cleats yeah yep. being clipped in uh hands and feet equal pressure at the same time yeah and you can actually use the recoil of the first one to pick up for the next one you don't it doesn't take a lot of sounds simple effort. yeah no yeah. excuses <laughs> everybody <laughs> yeah let's see
1: it. yeah we're let's all should we go practice
0: yeah why not <laughs> Um, something I noticed too about the Belgian steps that we have here is the fact that they are slightly sloping downward. Is that abnormal? And these are fully man, like wood steps. Like they, they aren't like, uh, they aren't made into the dirt at all with railroad ties or something like that. Is that typical? And does that change your approach? Like the angle of the, of the steps?
1: Does it make it easier or harder or the same? You don't even notice
2: the same. Yeah. The same. Yeah. I, I, the question of the weekend has been like what are Belgian steps? Mm. Um, it's not not quite a thing in Belgium um but no it, it's just it's the same yeah Gotcha Yep Done. might help you a little bit I guess Yeah
0: Yeah All right Great. I think we're good. Yeah, it's been going for a while. Thank some you. people have been standing for quite some time. I know so.
3: everyone's sitting down on the floor now.
0: <laughs> yeah. You've all lowered in height. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Thank you guys so much for doing this. I've learned a lot. Yes. I'm ready to go crash some
0: trying to practice <laughs> this. We thanks really, for having us. Of course, yeah. We really appreciate it. And thanks to everybody that came. Uh, we appreciate it. Tomorrow.
3: Thanks. Yeah. We're going to cheer you thanks guys on. Thanks,
0: everybody. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
2: Thank you all. Thanks for tuning in.